Good to see you here this morning and glad to have those of you who are joining online. Uh, often it's easy to forget that there's some of you joining us online. And uh, I was just mentioning to my daughter this morning that uh, over the last few weeks I've actually received uh, three emails, uh, encouraging emails from those of you who have been watching online uh, and uh, really appreciate that. And it was uh, encouraging for me because I quite enjoy speaking to physical bodies that are sitting in front of me. And uh, it's good to know that you at home are are listening and you are um, being impacted by God's Word uh, as well. Um, One thing I've experienced being someone who's involved up front often is you never know what's going to happen on a Sunday morning. Uh, And uh, always looking to see what surprise is going to be today's surprise. And, uh, and, and today didn't fail. We, we got here and uh, I couldn't get out of the truck. The door from home to here decided to freeze. And uh, so my family that was with me was quite concerned how they're going to get dad. Even if it was a pickup truck window, I'm not sure I could do that racing car exit. Uh, so I had to go across the... Uh, the uh, bench and, and get out the passenger door. And, and last week while I was preaching, Lauren was frantically trying to get a hold of us because she got engaged. So that was the big surprise uh, last Sunday, yes. Uh, so we're quite excited that uh, she has met a wonderful uh, Christian guy uh, in Swansea, and uh, they got engaged. And I knew it was coming, but I just didn't know what was going to happen last Sunday, and that uh, she was I walked into the foyer, and Allison said, look, and I looked at her phone, and Lauren's got her finger up, showing a ring, yes. So it was uh, quite, quite exciting. Um, Have you ever found yourself in a situation where you had no idea what was expected of you, what you were supposed to do. I guess that's kind of me now, knowing that uh, Lauren's getting married. Now I have to start thinking about uh, all these questions, but I think all of us can think of situations that we found ourselves in uh, where we really didn't have any idea what was expected uh, of us. I I can think of many times back in high school and even in university when I would uh, do my horrible amount of studying for an exam, and I would sit uh, in the exam hall, and they would hand that exam to you, and I would look at it, and, and I'd have no idea. And I'd be looking around just to make sure I was in the right class because this looked totally new to me. I, di- I didn't know what to do. And I didn't know what was expected of me. And, and it happens at work too when our supervisor or our boss gives us a task uh, and, and then walks away thinking that you understand what they uh, had commissioned you to do. Uh, and, and then all of a sudden you're asking all these questions. What, what is it I'm supposed to do? What, what are they expecting of me? I, I get that too, even when Allison gives me a chore to do. Uh, I can often find myself standing in the middle of a grocery store totally lost because I probably didn't really listen and pay attention fully to what she'd asked me to do. And, and so I find myself just, you know, looking lost and, and not knowing what to do. It, it reminds me, and this is going back years ago and, and over the years, who knows, I may have shared this story with you before, but back in high school, I was asked by my dad if I would be willing to work my March break with a bunch of other students. And we were going to be doing prep for a big conference my dad's company put on every year. And uh, so there's probably about 20 of us students, and we showed up to this warehouse 
and walked into the warehouse, and it was filled with tables that were full with literature and pens and plastic bags. And uh, we all just kind of looked at each other, waiting for someone to give direction. And we, we, we quickly realized that none of us knew what we were actually there to do. And we're waiting for someone who could have given us direction, but no one showed up to tell us what to do. Uh, and it was quite interesting to watch how the different students responded to the fact that none of us knew what we were there to do and, or what our purpose was. And uh, eventually, uh, some people sat down at the tables and, and started you know, reading through some of the material. Uh, others just kind of went off into the corner and, and probably that time of history, listened to their Walkman, uh, and uh, others went out, you know, behind the building for, for a cigarette, uh, and uh, some just sat off in the corner by themselves. Uh, some started getting frustrated, like, I gave my March break up for this, and we don't even know what we're supposed to do. Uh, eventually, someone showed up, and they'd late, been late coming to work and, and explained to us what to do, but it, it reminded me of a reality in life that when there's a lack of clarity regarding purpose, everything's a possibility for our time, our energy, and our attention. Uh, and, and when you don't know what your purpose is, you can fill your time with all sorts of things. And, and, and some of those things can be really wasted things. Uh, and uh, as we've seen in the news over the last couple of years, when people have a lot of time on their hand and a lot of energy on their hand, and they don't really have a clear understanding of purpose, they can cause chaos. But those questions regarding purpose aren't just limited to specific situations. They're the kind of questions we need to ask about the direction of our life in general. In fact, I'd say that probably the most important questions in life that we need to answer individually are to do with the purpose of our life. Why are we here? What's our purpose? Why are we here in the here uh, and now? And, and that reality that we see that pertains to specific situations also holds true to those purpose questions about our life in general. That, that reality that when we don't have a clear understanding of our purpose, everything becomes a possibility for our time and for our energy and for our attention. But here's the problem. All of us have a limited amount of time, energy, and attention. And here's the danger. If our time, energy, and attention is limited, and if we don't have a clear understanding of what our purpose or our mission is in life, and it's limited, we don't have a clear understanding, and everything becomes a possibility for our time, energy, and attention, what often happens is that we spend an enormous amount of time, energy, and attention, years and years for some of us, on things that don't really matter, on, on things that aren't going to move our life in the direction that it should be moving in, on things that don't promote health, that don't promote healthy relationships. And most importantly, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ here this morning, 
those questions concerning purpose are extremely important. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, what is your purpose in life? Why are you here? And you've heard me say this from the pulpit a number of times. Why doesn't God just beam us up when we give our life to Jesus? Because there's so many things that, that we as followers of Jesus can enjoy and can participate in that would be so much easier, so much more efficient if we were just up in heaven with God. Like imagine the praise and the worship. So why does God choose to leave us here in the here and now after we've given our life to Jesus? Over the last number of weeks, we've been looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Uh, It it was supposed to be a one-week sermon, and I think we're on week four now, as we've taken some time to slowly walk through uh, this text that's found in Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. And what we've been seeing is that there is a true possibility that we can experience real-life change that we can experience real-life newness. And this desire for change, this desire for newness, is a desire that God gives to us. Because He's wired us that way. Because He loves us. He wants us to be made new. Uh, And we've seen that real-life change, real-life newness, is only something that God can do in us. And uh, over the last number of weeks, uh, we've seen that God makes us new through Jesus. That if you put your trust in Jesus and what he's done for you, God makes you new. That God, because of what Jesus has done, is able to restore us into a right relationship. And he does it not by forgetting about sin, by hiding sin under the carpet or ignoring our sin. He does it by counting our sin against Jesus that he made Jesus to be the punishment, the, the payment for the penalty of our sin. So that we give Jesus our sin when we put our trust in him and in the work he's done. And Jesus, in turn, gives to us his righteousness, his holiness, his perfection. And so we saw that if you would put your trust in Jesus, you are a new creation. That is our reality. God, first and foremost, changes our status. That's our reality. That's the reality that God sees us uh, in. That's the reality that we experience. When he looks at us, he sees us through the blood of his son. uh, And he sees us, despite the accusations of the enemy, he sees us as forgiven. He sees us as clothed in the righteousness and the holiness and the perfection of his son. And so if you put your trust in Jesus, you have been made new. Uh, And and we talked for a couple of weeks about how God makes us new. And then we looked last week at what does God make new? Uh, And the simple answer is he makes everything new. That God gives us a new heart, new desires, new appetite, new insight, new beliefs, a a new way of, of looking at things and understanding things. And Paul says in the passage that we've been looking at is, if you put your trust in Jesus, you are a new creation. The old is gone. And we talked last week briefly, but we talked about what it meant when Paul said the old is gone. All, all the characteristics, uh, all those things that, that had a hold on our life before we put our trust in Jesus, no longer uh, are to have a hold on our life. No, no longer have the power to control us. Because, because Jesus has dealt with that. 
And God is planted within us new desires, new appetites, new priorities, new habits, new understandings, new beliefs. And we saw that as we cultivate and we nourish these things that God has planted in us, these, these characteristics, the, these temptations, the attraction of the old life, our old self, is diminished and diminished and diminished as we become more and more like Jesus. And specifically in the passage that uh, uh, Linda read for us this morning, Paul talks about two specific areas that God makes new. Uh, The one we looked at last week at the end of the message is that God uh, gives us a new way of thinking, a new way of thinking about others. Uh, And we looked at the example of Paul and how Paul used to, he used to evaluate people uh, against the standards of the world. Probably most likely he evaluated people against the standards of himself. Uh, and Paul had a lot going for him uh, from a human standpoint. Uh, he had achievements, he had attainments, he had education, he had pedigree. Uh, Paul also had a very firm understanding of what he thought about Jesus. Uh, Jesus was a fake. Uh, Jesus, especially the resurrection, was a hoax. Uh, He had a clear understanding of what he thought about those people who followed Jesus. Uh, I think I used the word morons last week. They needed to be rounded up. They they needed to be threatened. They needed to be tortured. And, And if necessary, they needed to be put to death. But when Paul came to Jesus and he became a new creation, Paul says, I, I got a new way of thinking. Uh, no longer do I see people the way that I used to. Because when I stood before God, empty-handed as a sinner, realizing that all those things that I had held as important, all those things that I had attained and achieved uh, as being life-making, I realized that I was just empty. And I realized that I needed Jesus and that Jesus could change my life. And if Jesus could change my life, he can change anyone's life, no matter what the baggage, no matter what the past, no matter what their, their sin. And so, so Paul said, I started to see, I see, I see people differently now. Uh, I see people as those that are in Christ or those that aren't in Christ yet. Uh, and, and that's how he began his ministry. But there was another newness that Paul talks about in, in 2 Corinthians 5. Uh, and he says that when you become new in Christ, when God makes you new, uh, when you put your trust in Jesus, he gives you a new mission. He gives you a new um, purpose. Uh, I want you to turn to Acts 26. This was a passage that Sam read a few weeks ago uh, for us. One of my favorite uh, stories uh, in Scripture um, you know, if Paul was asked those same questions that I asked just previously, what's your purpose in life? Why are you here? Why are you in this specific here and now? Paul immediately would have had an answer. Paul was crystal clear concerning his purpose in life. And it gave his life so much focus and so much meaning. It helped him to live well. It helped him to love well. It helped him to love those who were really difficult to love. It helped Paul make sense of the the sufferings uh, and trials 
that he experienced. Uh, It helped Paul to navigate through the limitations of time, energy, and attention. And because Paul was so crystal clear of the mission and purpose that he had in life, he was able to say no to things that he could have quite easily said yes to. Uh, And he found himself and said, limiting himself to, to committing himself to those things that really, really mattered. And uh, I think it would be fantastic to be able to have that kind of crystal clear understanding uh, of the purpose and mission that is for me. And hopefully you feel the same way because it would give us so much structure uh, and so much meaning in our life and would help us to steer our life in the direction that we need to be going in. And so in Acts 26, we find Paul, it's been a few years, he was arrested by the Jewish leaders because of what they deemed was his threat to Judaism, uh, the, the false things that he was teaching, uh, the people that he was going after that they would never have uh, accepted uh, into their church. Uh, and so they bring him before the Roman authorities and they want him dealt with, but the Roman authorities are really struggling to know what to do with Paul because Paul appeals to Caesar. Paul's a Roman citizen. He appeals to Caesar. Uh, and so it's, it's in a way, if you go from about chapter 22 through 26, uh, the whole story, in a way it's a bit comical because you've got these Roman authorities who are going, I don't, how do we bring Paul to Caesar for these charges that are being brought by the, the Jewish uh, church? Uh, we don't want to look foolish before Caesar. And so they kept giving Paul uh, opportunities to defend himself. And, and the, you know, the funny part is, is that Paul's just preaching the gospel as he keeps going through. And so uh, he, he's pleading his case uh, to Felix, and then he pleads his case to Festus. Uh, and then in Acts 26, he's telling his story once again. Uh, and, and what's pertinent for us, he's, he's sharing with King Agrippa and, his, and King Agrippa's wife, uh, he's sharing with them how he got his mission uh, in life. Uh, and so if you uh, look at verse 12 in chapter 26, we see, uh, we'll pick up the story um, here. And actually, if you, you went back to, to verse 9, I think this is meaningful for us and it's helpful and it's in a, in, in a strange kind of way, it's encouraging to, to realize that Paul didn't always have this crystal clear grasp on his mission in life. Uh, Paul would tell you that he wasted the first 30 years of his life. For, for, for 30 years of his life, he was devoted to a purpose in life that he would later regret, that he would define and label as, as wasted years, uh, that, that anything he achieved or attained during that period, he counted it uh, as a loss. And, and I say that it's encouraging because I think some of us can think of our recent past or, or, or years and years in our past and uh, over the last couple of weeks, I've shared some testimonies of, of other people with you. Glenn Kaiser, the lead singer of Res Band. I shared a little bit from Allison's baptism. Uh, I mentioned uh, the numerous testimonies that we've heard over the years here at Auburn uh, from the ladies from Teen Challenge. And, and, and that's a common theme in, in all those testimonies. I look back at my life and I see so much wasted time, so much wasted energy, so much wasted focus, so much damage, so much hurt uh, that I've experienced and I've caused. 
because of a, a, a warped purpose in life. And I find Paul's story so encouraging because it reminds me that God has a knack for redeeming wasted years uh, and wasted lives. Uh, and so you see in verse 9, Paul says, I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished. And I tried to force them to blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. And then we moved to verse 12 where I told you to first put your attention on. And in verse 12, we, we've, we discover that, that Paul meets Jesus. On one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. About noon, King Agrippa, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We all fell down to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And so Saul, who would later become Paul, Saul meets Jesus on the road to Damascus. And there's that really strange statement. It's hard for you to kick against the goads. And uh, you may wonder, well, what in the world is Jesus talking about? Well, goads were, were, were spikes that were driven through a board. And if you were training an ox to be part of a team of oxen and you were training it to, uh, to uh, be tied into a yoke and to work with the team, uh, what the trainer would do is drive these spikes through a board and put it at the back of the ox. And so if the ox was getting unruly and didn't like what he was being asked to do, it would naturally kick out. But it would kick against this board that had the spikes in it. And so, very quickly, the ox would learn uh, that that's not really a wise thing to do. That, it, that it's a losing battle to be kicking against these sharp spikes because all it'll end up doing in the end is hurting the ox. And so, what, what Jesus is saying to Paul is, Paul, why do you keep fighting me? Why are you waging this battle that, that you can't win? Why are you not surrendering? and submitting to this thing that right now you're struggling against. You see, Paul had committed his life, his adult life, to stamping out Christianity. And yet, Jesus is saying to Paul, Paul, why are you so stubborn? Why aren't you listening to me? Why do you keep turning away and walking away from the true purpose that I have for your life. It's all of a sudden this statement that Jesus has for Paul, I don't think is quite as strange to us when we understand what Jesus was getting at. Because I think some of us, and I know I certainly have over my years, I've heard those same questions. Brent, why are you fighting me? Why are you not listening to me? Why do you keep walking away from the clear purpose that I have for your life? 
And so Saul, who had become Paul, meets Jesus on the Damascus Road. And as we get to verse 15, we discover the turning point in Saul's life. Then Saul asked, Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. There's so much detail I wish that they jammed into that verse. But it is a sledgehammer verse. It is meant to be the turning point in Paul's life, where Saul becomes Paul. Where Saul is encountered by the person of Jesus Christ and his life is radically changed. It's on the road to Damascus in verse 15 where I believe Paul truly understood and appreciated for the first time that if anyone puts their trust in the person of Jesus Christ, they are made new. Because Saul was taken from darkness and Paul was brought into light. Saul was taken from death and Paul came into life. Saul, the greatest persecutor of Christianity, became Paul, the greatest promoter of Christianity. And then Paul is given his purpose statement, his mission for life. And as we read in verse 16 through 18, Jesus says, stand up. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I'm sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. And so Jesus says, Paul, stand up. I've saved you from the world so I can send you back into the world. Paul, you you thought you had your mind made up about me. You thought it was a hoax. You thought the resurrection was, was fake. You just figured that some of his followers must have taken my body from the grave. But now I've appeared to you on the Damascus Road and you realize that I am the glorified and risen Savior. Saul, you are now Paul. And I am sending you back into the world to declare the goodness and grace of my message, to proclaim the gospel, that the same thing that you experienced, the same life change that you have experienced, that you would be a a, a testimony, that you would be a witness for me so that other people could experience the same life change that you have. And so that's Paul's Damascus Road experience. You know, and I read it and I think about it and I think, wouldn't it be so helpful if we could have a Damascus Road experience? Because we spend so much time, even in the church, asking ourselves those very questions I asked at the beginning and sometimes struggling to come up with the answers. Why am I here? What is my purpose? Why am I living here where I'm living right now? How much easier it would be if Jesus just appeared to us, even if it was a confrontation, and handed us our purpose. 
It would save so much wasted time. But we're not Paul. I guess we just assume and conclude that Paul is a a unique and, and special case. But before you land on that conclusion, let me say a few things about Paul and his mission. Jesus gave Paul this very special, huge mission. But not because Paul deserved it. Not because Paul earned it. Jesus gave Paul his mission purely out of his grace. It wasn't as if Paul was walking on the Damascus road and Jesus looked down on him and said, man, Paul, I'm really impressed by the things that you're doing for me. And I think it's time that that I give you a real special mission. Now, Paul was on the Damascus road heading to Damascus so he could continue to persecute and stamp out Christianity. He wasn't on the Damascus road pondering the purpose questions that I've asked already, going to some spiritual retreat where God was going to speak to him and reveal this true purpose that he had for him. Now, Paul already had his mind made up about his purpose in life. And that was to stamp out Christianity. And so the message of Acts 26 is that Jesus didn't give Paul this special mission because it was something he deserved, something that he had earned, even something that he was seeking. Rather, Jesus in his grace steps into Paul's life, radically saves him, and then tells him, here are the things that I want you to do. But again, I'm not sure how many of us are expecting that we're going to have a Damascus Road experience where Jesus graciously shows up and just says, here, here's, here's, what I, here's what I'm calling you to do. Or can we expect to have a Damascus Road experience? That may sound like a strange question. Most of us probably don't even really know where the Damascus Road is. I don't even know if it still exists. Can we have a Damascus Road experience? This morning, I want to tell you that we can have a Damascus Road experience. And this is our Damascus Road experience. God's Word. This is where God confronts us. This is where God reveals who he is and what he's done through his son. This is, this is where God reveals to us who we are and where we fall short. It's here that we read what God wants to do in our life and what God can do in our life through Jesus Christ. And it's here that we discover that if we put our trust in what God has done through his son and we ask for forgiveness of our sin, that we're made new. And it's here that we clearly and consistently see the mission and the purpose 
that God has for each one of us who have committed our life to him. And that takes us back to 2 Corinthians so that we can just look at that second newness that God gives to us that Paul talks about. And so I'm going to get you to flip now back over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And we're going to read about the second area of newness that God clearly and consistently through Scripture reminds us of. That if you have been made new in Christ, if you have put your trust in Jesus, you have been given a mission. You have been given a very special purpose. Verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling, reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who has no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so if you've put your trust in Jesus, you have a new mission. You are his ambassador. And uh, you may not really even understand what an ambassador means today. And what an ambassador is today is a little bit different than what it was in Paul's time. An ambassador in Paul's time really had a twofold purpose. The ambassador represented a governing authority and would go to people, people groups. Uh, some of those people groups lived in submission and, and, and really appreciated the ruling authority. There was other people that were, were living in rebellion to the ruling authority. And so what the ambassador would do, representing the king or representing the governing body, would go to a group of people and would either uh, remind that group of people of the goodness and, and the blessings and the benefits of being submitted to this governing authority, the king, or sometimes would go to a group of people who were living in rebellion and would warn them of their rebellion. Would, would warn them of the consequences of living life in rebellion to the governing authority and, and then offer a way that they could experience peace. And so Paul says, if you've put your trust in Jesus, you are, here's your purpose, here's your mission, you are ambassadors. God is appealing to those who are not in right relationship with them because of their sin. He's appealing to those people to come into a right relationship with him through the person and work of his son. And he's making that appeal through you and he's making that appeal through me. We are God's ambassadors. We are God's representatives. We represent God. God sends us into the world to testify to those who don't know him yet of his goodness, of his blessings, of the benefits of being in relationship with him, and also warning people of the consequences of living in rebellion and not submitting, not receiving forgiveness of sin. And so what's our purpose? Why are we here? Why doesn't God beam us up at the moment of our conversion? Because he leaves us here to be his representatives, to represent 
You know, in my life, in my working life, I've had several opportunities to, to represent a product or a, a company, a service that I was very proud to represent. Uh, when I was in university, a good friend of mine owned a leasing company, and he specifically leased Honda vehicles. Uh, and uh, to make a little bit of money, I, I worked alongside of him. I didn't really even need to learn a whole lot because back then, and, and probably even today still, but back then, I mean, Honda was gold. Like, there really wasn't any criticism about Hondas. It, it was an easy sell. Uh, and, and so I was proud to represent Honda. Uh, the same is true at the first uh, book bindery I worked at. Uh, I didn't think I was ever going to leave that company. Uh, and I was so, we were the biggest. We were the best. We were the ones that the competition feared. And I was quite proud to represent my bindery uh, into the printing world. Imagine the privilege to represent Jesus, right? The King of Kings, Lord of Lords. That is our purpose, to represent Jesus. And yet, why doesn't it stir us any more than it does? I can get so proud to represent Honda, Cosgrove Moore Bindery, the Kansas City Chiefs, the Toronto Maple Leafs, the Peterborough Peets, and yet... There's so many times when I'm embarrassed or I count it a burden to represent Jesus. Paul was driven in his life to represent Jesus, regardless of the cost. What is it that, that, that I at times, and what is it that you at times are lacking? What's lacking in our motivation? Well, Paul, if you look at 2 Corinthians 5, speaks of one of his motivations. Ties into something I said last week. In verse 14, Paul says, For Christ's love compels us, because we're convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died, and he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. And in Philippians 2, Paul would write, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, Jesus made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of of God the Father, this one-time persecutor of Christianity, the chief of all sinners, had a life-changing encounter with Jesus, and his life was changed, and he was blown away by the love that God demonstrated through the person of his son, Jesus. I said last week that Charles Spurgeon said the most important daily discipline of a Christian is to remind yourself daily of the gospel to daily be into his word and remind yourself of the good news concerning Jesus, his faithfulness, his blessings. Natalie, on the way home from London on, on uh, Thursday night, she said to me, so, Dad, what's God been teaching you? And uh, interestingly enough, uh, Brian, I'm uh, in Second Kings in my two to three year 
Bible. Uh, and uh, I've been reading about the one king after another king, uh, specifically in, in, of Israel, the northern kingdom, and, and how ridiculous they were and how off track they were. And I'd read this, and a lot of it I don't even understand, and it's, it's just a lot of cultural stuff that I don't understand, and I'm reading this, and I'm just going, God's faithful, God's faithful, God's faithful, and I'm not living at the time of Second Kings, but as I've told you, I look at myself in the mirror at times, and I see someone who can be unfaithful. I can see someone who still can be attracted and tempted by some of the, the sin of, of my old man. And yet God's faithful, and God's faithful, and God's faithful. And we need to remind ourselves by being into his word of the gospel, the good news of his love for us. And let that compel us. Let that motivate us to want to share Jesus, to be his representative. Are we good ambassadors? When we have interactions with people, Are we representing Jesus? I can't help but think that for many people, the only Jesus that they're going to see is the Jesus that we're promoting and that we're displaying in our life, in in our words, our actions, in our thoughts, in our priorities, in our habits, in our hobbies. What kind of Jesus are we representing to the people we interact with? Are we being a good ambassador. Ask yourself those questions and it will definitely change the way you interact with your spouse, with your kids, with your friends, with your workmates, with your schoolmates, with those who you know don't yet know Jesus. Daniel and Linda, why don't you come on up? And we're going to sing a very simple song, uh, but I think it's got a very, very important message as we consider uh, the motivation we may or may not have uh, to be representatives of Jesus, uh, being faithful to the purpose and mission that he has given to us, those who have put their trust in him.